So there's just certain areas and, and I think things that people are gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna enjoy my time with my family. You know, you have kids in the house or or you're retired, so you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually enjoy, I'm gonna do some things that I've always wanted to do. office in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to The Ballast Life, a series of conversations highlighting respected professionals, community leaders, and important topics that are necessary to achieving financial cohesion. Hi everyone, John Boardman, founder and CEO of Ballast, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by Andy Reynolds, our COO, uh, financial advocate and partner here at Ballast. And uh, we just wanted to get together and have a conversation about um, you know, the, the election just happened last week. Uh, it feels like it's it's been a month now, the way the news cycle's, uh, yeah. you know, been rolling. But uh, uh, we basically know the results. We it's, The election still has not been certified yet. Some votes are still being counted. But we're getting a lot of questions from clients. And so we thought it'd be a great opportunity to uh, sit down and kind of talk about what we think are some of the implications of this election and some planning maybe leading into year end and then maybe some things we predict or some things we still don't know leading into 2021. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask you, you know, what are your initial observations about the results of the election and um, what that means for our client base? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, the market at least is pricing in optimism over over the results and, and not that the market cares whether it's a Republican or Demo- Democrat, but what we're seeing the market price in is a split Congress, which you know obviously that's not been determined either yet. But hopefully we have some news on that shortly. And then a Democrat as a, as our president, um, president or president like Biden potentially. Um, so what that means for the markets really is status quo, which is what markets like. Markets don't like uncertainty, and markets tend to overreact to uncertainty, and. So with a split Congress, you know, it's it's much more difficult to get things done. A lot more grid work, gridlock, um, which we all have seen the times where we're frustrated by that um, historically. And but at the same time, the market can have a general understanding of what things probably will look like over the next four years. So you know, still up for debate how exactly that will play out. But if there is a Democrat and a split Congress then it's a lot of good things um, potentially for the market, at least in the near term, as we're trying to filter through the election results. Um, you know, we put together that analysis, or we didn't put together, but we put together several different analysis of what happens in the market and different political outcomes. And I think the, the two main things to, to take away from that is, one, the market really doesn't care. The market's done well in any environment whoever's in, in the presidential in the White House and also whoever is in Congress. And surprisingly to some and maybe not to others, actually when a Democrat is in, in the White House and we have a split Congress, statistically we've seen that be the best for the market returns over that four-year period. So, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing a little bit of, of obviously a potential of vaccine coming sooner rather than later. We're seeing some beginning of margin expansion over time, um, unemployment's down. So, so generally right now, I think the market's happy. Um, that can flip on a, on a dime 
obviously, but right now the market is starting to be more optimistic and continue to be more optimistic about what 2021 may bring for us. Um, so thinking about elections, um, what I know recently you're working with some clients with some tax planning and potential tax changes. And while gridlock may or may not happen, what are you thinking about right now with clients with taxes and looking at the end of the year um, or just what changes might be coming down the road? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. If you look back to 2016, I think the expectation out of that election is that we would have a sort of a gridlock situation. Um, Hillary Clinton was favored in the in the polls, and obviously that didn't come to fruition. Uh, and then we woke up to Republican control, and in that immediate, you know, six months, we saw quite a bit of legislation um, introduced. We saw some tax cuts happen, and that was a different type of tax planning, right? That was one where we were sort of waiting for potentially more opportunistic tax planning. Now, in speaking with attorneys, and this is consistent with attorneys we're working with in different states across the country with clients, um, there is a little anxiety leading into the end of the year. We still don't know, as you said, what Congress will look like. And uh, with the Senate runoffs in Georgia, that will dictate probably what the legislative agenda looks like for the beginning of 2021. My impression in the estate planning community is that most attorneys are advocating for fairly proactive tax planning leading into the end of the year. Um, there is the largest exemption, the estate and gift tax exemption is a huge opportunity for high net worth individuals to pass assets down to the next generation. There is some concern that if it's a full democratic control that that might get closed up or that limit might get lowered to a, to a, a much smaller number. I think that there are a lot of things have to come into play out for that to be the case, but I can see in certain situations where clients will be best served by going ahead and sort of preventatively and proactively making gift um, gifts to to family members if, if that is in fact a concern. The income tax side of it is a big question mark, and there's a lot of misinformation out there about what the Biden tax plan is versus the current tax plan. Um, generally speaking, the, those most targeted by some potential tax change would be the highest of income earners. Um, I don't believe, based on my understanding of what a potential tax plan proposal would look like, that it will greatly impact that many people. Um, now, the markets may care about that, and um, the corporate tax side of it could be a factor as well. That one, I think, will be a little bit more politically challenging to deal with. So there's just still a lot up in the air, unfortunately. Um, I thought we'd have a little bit of clarity. That was sort of how we had tabled some conversations with clients. We weren't expecting a state with two runoffs that would dictate yeah. <laughs> political control in the Senate, but that's that's where we are right now. Um, let's just sort of jump away from politics a little bit and just think about you know with the business owners you're working with you know just a general take on what the economic environment looks like now and, and both from a small business standpoint the business owners we deal with but also to a larger sort of perspective on just industries and how how they're yeah. dealing with this window 
I think um, one thing that I've heard a lot of is, so anytime when, when there's something bad, there's always some silver linings. And I think one of the silver linings from this, is, as we've talked about before, is, you know, one of the one of the benefits of how this all played itself out is all businesses were forced to close, forced to take a hiatus. And what a lot of good business owners did during that time period is they stopped and they thought about how they could improve their businesses. So you're seeing some of that come out um, in how they're attacking the end of the year, how they're attacking next year. And I think that will be ultimately be good. You see a lot of that in small businesses. You know, we have um, a, a, a friend of, of someone in our office who was making leather goods and all of a sudden they transitioned and made face shields. And, you know, had, had they not have done that and just sat at home, their business would look very different. Um, so you, you saw a lot of that. And I think that's helped small businesses who are nimble be able to provide a bridge across these, these time periods. Um, you know, looking at other industries for bigger business, there are some that are struggling. There's no sugarcoating it. And, and there's some that, that will, may not come back. And, and it's, that's, that's unfortunate. Um, this has definitely exacerbated change that was already happening, whether it's in the business standpoint or government or college or, or whatnot. Um, it is it is fast forwarded time I think for some of those struggles and brought them higher in people's opinion. Um, but looking forward, you know, similar back to the financial crisis, if you think about what happened with companies and their and their profit loss statements, you know, margins began to actually grow on the back end of the financial crisis. Top line revenue took a while to actually grow, and that was the headline news for years of when are we going to see top line growth. But bottom line growth, we, we actually saw companies that were just as or more profitable. I think we'll continue to see that. You know, we, My opinion is I don't think that we are at a point where there was exorbitant risk-taking or exorbitant excess in companies, but we are getting there. And you're starting to see companies taking a step back and realizing, oh, we actually didn't need that. We didn't need that. We didn't need that. And we can still function. It was nice to have those things, but we don't have to have those. So you're starting to see some of that. Um, there are a lot of analysts out there, as we've talked about, that think 2021 could be significant growth for a lot of these companies. Part of it's going to be from pent-up demand, assuming that people are able to get out and do things next summer. Part of it's going to be just good business decision making uh, and, and, and really trying to drive margins. Um, you know, haven't talked about the vaccine, but that obviously has an impact, you know, connecting a bridge between a day of complete uncertainty when we don't know what the future could look like to a day of, okay, we're starting to have a, a better understanding of what that might look like. Talk a little bit. Um, about your thoughts on the vaccine and where that brings us um, as we start to learn more and more about what it could look like. Yeah, I mean, the markets a couple days ago when the Pfizer news came out, that was obviously a real positive and um, what, 90% you know, effective, which, you know, probably some ways to punch holes in those numbers, but generally positive news about it. Marcus reacted well to it. There's so many aspects to the vaccine that I think will will determine how how effective it is, not just scientifically, but there's a confidence issue right now 
a lot of it, I think, is because it was just such a political, this pandemic has become, been so political, just yeah. likely because it was just an election year. I think any election year would have made that a political issue. But um, when, when people don't have confidence around taking the vaccine, if a large percentage of the population, for instance, doesn't have confidence around the, the vaccine, that is going to be a headwind for the efficacy of, of, of the vaccine because you really need people in mass taking it. So there's a scientific side of it, and then there's the confidence level, and then you just have general, you know, distribution capability, uh, which I know there are a number of manufacturers already working in a number of different types of vaccines, but that is going to be critical if we want 2021 to have any semblance of normalcy, even if we're talking about the latter half of the year or latter three quarters of the year. We, we need that vaccine. We need it out in, in a big way in the first quarter. Um, I think there is a huge pent-up demand in consumers for just living, um, whether it's travel um, to see family, spring breaks that were canceled, summer vacations that were canceled. Um, I think that pent-up wave of demand is just waiting and will be a real win for those industries um unfortunately there will probably be some that don't some individual companies that don't survive this environment just because it's been so stressful um i do think it's going to be required a vaccine is going to be required for us to get back to normal there's just nothing in this current environment that tells me that that we're going to be able to adjust without without a vaccine um herd immunity which we you know we've all become scientific experts right through yeah. this entire thing you know we all um we, we hear these terms that we just didn't talk about before but herd immunity um you know is the other way of getting there but that you know based on what i've read could take years without a vaccine so that that vaccine essentially would speed up that process so i'm optimistic i'm an optimist by nature i know you are as well um, I think as investment professionals, you have to be optimistic that the world will figure these issues out. Um, it will be a transformational period for companies and industries, though. I think consumers will change the way that they behave. Companies will change the way they behave. You know, you mentioned the idea of employment and or of, of uh, efficiency and productivity. You know, coming out of the financial crisis, one of the concerns was the corporate conservatism that set in. Yeah. And then a lot of these companies that just really got stuck in a tough position became very conservative with hiring. So we may see corporate profits really take off because these companies become that much more efficient to operate. But we hope that doesn't happen at the cost of a weakening consumer base where employment really is challenged. And that, that could that could be impactful. And I feel like, although we've seen a lot of layoffs this year, I am concerned that over the next six to 12 months, we'll see more as companies start to deal with what they have once the dust settles, so to speak, on, on this issue. So I think it's it's uh, there's a lot still to play out. Yeah, and that conservatism lasted a long time, right? It, it wasn't a year or two. I think it and still is there in some, to some degree. I agree. And, and I think that's what's kept us from that ultimate you know if you think back beginning of the year and behind you know we we were things were rolling they were doing pretty well and and but still there was in the back of the mind there was a thought process of of fear of that quick memory back to the financial crisis um and then just another point to add about the vaccine i do think one thing that's promising about the pfizer news and, and moderna coming out this morning 
you know, with their trial now being able to go to, to, to review the results, it allows us to have some degree of near term of when we might be working our way out of this. You know, maybe it's not the end of the year, maybe it's next summer, but that company, like movie theaters, if you're a movie theater right now and you have no end in sight, you may just close it down and say, you know, we're, we're done. But if that end in sight might be six months from now, maybe, or nine months or a year from now, you might be willing to take that loan and, and, and a bank might be willing to loan you the money to provide that bridge. And it may take you five years to get out from underneath of it, but the future is, is back in reality again. Yeah, I think the confidence that that, just the to sh- the confidence in the news that came out that said this is in fact working and the people were testing, right. you're right. I mean, it's the phrase that was said at the beginning of this, I said, well, every day is one step closer to us being done with this. And quite frankly, after what, eight months of this, it almost felt like you couldn't envision when we wouldn't be wearing masks on, on the regular. And and and, uh, and I think that is really important just from a confidence standpoint so people know that the end is in sight. Let's, let's talk a little bit about um, sort of market, diving into the markets a little bit more and thinking about asset classes and, and sort of what we've witnessed around the election and, and since then and in this COVID world we're in and maybe what a post-COVID world could look like. I know there's been some disparity in performance in different asset classes. What are some of your thoughts there? Yeah, it's, it's you know, we've talked about FANG. Everyone's familiar with that term. And, and now the new term is the stay-at-home stocks. Um, it's definitely been, if we just focus on large cap, it's definitely been a growth versus value story over the past several years. Um, we, since the vaccine came out, we saw a big, uh, initially a big divergence of, of those two actually favoring value. Um, you know, we talked about this last time we talked and we continue to talk to clients about it and we we all love the growth names and, and don't get me wrong about that you know if 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 you look around you and and where you spend your time your activities a lot of them are going to be in those growth names but i heard a, a recent comparison to microsoft back in the 90s and back in the 90s microsoft did fantastic you know i think it was up nine thousand plus percent during the 90s leading up to the to the tech bubble after the tech bubble, I believe it took 16 years for the stock price to get back to where it was in, from, from the peak of the 90s. So why is that? Was Microsoft a terrible company? No, it was still a great company, but at some point reality has to set in these valuations. And when that point is, who knows? Probably sooner rather than later, but may not be. But at some point, these companies aren't going to be less favorable. I mean, Apple, as an example, is a great company. Its P.E. ratio is starting to go up tremendously. At some point, we have to look at it for the merits of what it is. And we also have to recognize that for it to continue to grow at that pace and get back to a realistic P.E. ratio, it's got to do everything right and it's got to continually get get those decisions right. So I think... You know, that's something we're focusing on a lot. Um, I think, you know, pre-pandemic, pandemic, pandemic, post-pandemic, 
all those worlds look very different and what companies could really outpace would could change over that time period um, you know especially with these stay at home stock names I mean zoom video zoom's great and this has really pushed zoom ahead of where it would have been but is what percentage of people are going to be using zoom in two years from now I can promise you hopefully <laughs> if, if we're not still in this COVID world um, it's going to be a whole lot less than, than we're using it now now are we going to use it more than we did pre-pandemic probably but we're not gonna use it anywhere near the amount we're using it today. So uh, reality will start to set in with a lot of these names. And I don't think you wanna be on the wrong side of that when that reality does set in, because I, I think that's a, an equation for potential disaster. Um, and you gotta remember these value names, they're not old dinosaurs that aren't doing anything. They're still really good companies. Yeah. They just are having capital flow to them a little bit slower than some of the more sexy names that yeah. we're saying. Yeah, I think these um, growth names, typically you would just think of being more speculative. You're buying some future vision of what these companies will be, but I think over the last couple of years, they've almost become safe harbor assets where people are putting money into them because they they know what they are. They, they look at some of these more traditional names and they, ha they have a hard time envisioning how they'll be able to evolve, right. but you, yeah, you said it exactly. I mean, valuations at some point eventually will have to matter. Yeah, there, there was. I really like this. I heard someone refer to people who are invested, own a part of the, those companies, are supporters of those companies. Less investors nowadays. Are you are you truly investing in a company? You know, Peloton. Um, are you really investing in a company that its earnings are, you know, far exceeding the, any revenue it's making? Right. At some point, you're a supporter of what that could end up being, but That's not right. what it is today. That's right. And, and it's something to keep in mind. So, knowing that you know, there's a lot of things at hand right now. The election, you know, we have a general idea of where it's going to go, but it's definitely not set in stone. Uh, we have a COVID world, we have a potential vaccine, we have large cap disparity. What do you see being a driver of economic growth, being a driver of markets looking forward as we finish the year and move into 2021? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the IMF, um, and this was before the election, they came out and did um, lower growth forecasts globally for the next few years. And I think much of that has to do with this. I, I think when the pandemic started, we, we thought, you know, this will sort of come and go and then the fall will be back to normal. Well, we're approaching winter now and numbers are not necessarily improving. So um, I think there is going to be a hangover impact from, from these, um, from the pandemic that we're in right now. Um, I also think that the, the markets I want to say they've been derailed, so to speak, but so many companies did suspend guidance during this period of time. We really don't know where these companies are going to end up. So from a market standpoint, I my hope would be that we return to some sort of a fundamental type market where, where earnings do matter and yeah. growth does matter and balance sheets do matter. I think, you know, for those of us that like to look at fundamentals as the driver of long-term values, that that's what we, what we would hope. Um, from an economic standpoint, I do think there will be, like I said, a pent-up demand. I think there will be a little bit of a tailwind with just general activity. People want to do um, things that they were unable to do 
this past year. Um, and low interest rates look like they're going to be in place for a while. There's not a lot of wage inflation, which is something we would typically need to see uh, for rates to go up. There's obviously variables out there that could cause interest rates to move up that are outside of inflation. But uh, if that continues to be the case, that could prove to be a good um, uh, tailwind or sort of enhancer to economic conditions if rates stay low. Um, I, it's interesting just talking to people and what businesses have thrived in the middle of this. Um, people are staying home more. Uh, I heard, for instance, of client ours putting a pool in. The contractors were two years backlogged. Uh, so there's just certain areas and, and I think things that people are going to say, you know what, I'm going to enjoy my time with my family. You know, you have kids in the house or or you're retired and say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually enjoy, I'm going to do some things that I've always wanted to do because who knows when I might not be able to do it again. So I think there are some real positives out there that could drive consumer behavior where people just have this newfound appreciation for the, all the things that they sort of took for granted. Um, globally, I think, you know, we're all in this together. Um, you know, there are, there is some reason to believe that the United States may bounce back a little bit quicker than some of the European countries dealing with this. Um, I think I said this at the beginning, I think American stubbornness that maybe uh, kind of extended our problem more than some areas will probably be the thing that helps us be most resilient coming out of it. Um, and uh, so I think that there will be some disparity in, in how countries deal with this and, and going back to the vaccine, how quickly they're able and how confidently they're able to to distribute that. So there's still just a ton of variables. I mean, the political landscape that we touched on at the beginning, that that is going to have a huge impact on how companies think about spending and reinvesting. Um, I think a, a status quo, so to speak, where we didn't have a lot of legislative change, I think generally that would be a good thing for the economy and, uh, and the markets. But um, that's that's just pure speculation at yeah. this point. I think it'll be interesting to see whenever we do get past COVID vaccine or some semblance of that, what the market looks at when it takes a step back and kind of comes back to reality. Because, you know, just think of an example. Your house is on fire. You're going to do everything you got to do to make your house, you know, not be on fire and provide for your family and, and whatnot. After that, though, you still got to figure out how you're going to pay your mortgage. And, you know, if we look at the concern, the underlying concerns that we had before the pandemic, those things haven't changed at all. That's right. You know, trade with China, government debt has only gotten worse. You know, where we go um, and, and where the mar what the market focuses on, what becomes headline news when the pandemic's in our rear view mirror is going to be really interesting as well. I agree. So now that we've touched on some of the economic headlines, and I think we should probably reconvene before the end of the year too, just to kind of see what what has materialized between now and then. What are some of the things you're talking to clients about, you know, leading into the end of the year? And um, with what we know or don't know about the election and current tax laws, uh, what are some, and we know we didn't have to do required minimum distributions this year. What are a few of the things you've been touching touching on with clients? Yeah, so it's definitely a continually moving story. You know, tomorrow we could have a different election result. Tomorrow we could, COVID could be on its way in our rearview mirror. So a lot of moving pieces. I, I agree staying up to date on all those things are, is really important. Um, you know, really 
what what I what I think we're trying to focus on with clients is just you know we're not out of the woods yet. Things are looking better. People I think are starting to get tired of dealing with with bigger things, but um, you know really trying to focus on looking at the next six to twelve months in your own personal life and and what you need to do uh, to make sure you're in a good position. Taking a step back, you've seen the good, the bad this year over the past you know, 18 months focusing on those. Um, and then really just trying to make good decisions. We'll be doing tax planning within the portfolios, um, but trying to make good fundamental decisions, unemotional decisions as you take a full picture of your of your complete financial situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, um, there's been so much drama around this election. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a great time for people you know, we have people that are falling off the ends of both political edges, right? Um, and so everyone is going to come out of this election with sort of a different opinion on how healthy the world is. And I think whenever emotion sort of starts to pull in your own financial picture and you're starting to think about it from that perspective, the best thing you can do is talk to us, you know, and, and, and sit down and think about actually fundamentally where you are, uh, what are some practical decisions and you know, let us remove the emotion from the situation because I think that's one of the things that drives people often to making, uh, you know, short-term, you know, potentially uh, destructive decisions, you know, if, if, if they don't remove emotion from, from the picture. So, well, thanks for joining me today. Yeah. We'll definitely reconvene um, and do this again soon. And we, we thank everyone for listening in. Hope to see you soon. The content and opinions expressed during this conversation are those of the participants and do not represent financial advice, guidance, or a recommendation on behalf of the participants or Ballas Incorporated. You should not treat any opinion expressed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of opinion, which may change as circumstances change. Ballas is not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided within. Opinions discussed are based upon information considered reliable at the time of recording. Such information is not warranted for its completeness or accuracy and should not be relied upon as such. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Listeners should be aware of the real risk of loss in investing in any security. Strategies or investments discussed may fluctuate in price or value. Investors may get back less than they invested. Investments or strategies mentioned in this content may not be suitable for you. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs, and is not intended to be a recommendation appropriate for you. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned. Before acting on information discussed, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances, and Ballas strongly encourages you to seek advice from your own financial advisor, CPA, or attorney. Nothing discussed should be considered investment, tax, or legal advice. Ballast Inc., also known as Ballast, is a registered investment advisor. Certain advisory persons of Ballast are also registered representatives of APW Capital Inc., also known as APW, which is a member of the FINRA and SIPC. Their address is 100 Enterprise Drive, Suite 504 in Rockaway, New Jersey, with postal code 07866. Their number is 1-800-637-3211. In their separate capacity as registered representatives, securities are offered through APW. Ballast and APW are not affiliated.